And welcome into Ask Dog Central on a Thursday night. My name is Graham Coffey. I am joined by my friend and co-host, Dustin Wood. Dustin, how are you this evening? Doing good. Hope you're having a good week so far. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. How about yourself? It's almost the weekend. It's been a busy it's all week we can week. ask for, right? Yeah, definitely. I saw you put a post that the awesome. weather's been getting cooler out there. It has, man. Yeah, we had uh, some some like mid sixties last night around sundown. My wife and I set out on the back porch. I was doing some stuff on the iPad. She was reading in the hammock while the grill was going. It was nice. Made me ready for fall. Started feeling a little like football weather. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, we are here as we always are on Thursday evenings to answer subscriber questions and uh without too much further ado let's get into it um first and foremost we're gonna take questions from our forum because you guys subscribe so we want to give you preferential treatment uh dustin anything new on chris peel for those of you that don't know chris peel is a uh 3db me just got bumped up to a four-star db uh out of the charlotte area and definitely a uga target what are you hearing on him yeah so um i saw that um that he's going to be visiting michigan um sometime in the next month so that is something to kind of watch out for um might be kind of playing kirby's cards a little bit on pushing towards his his recruitment but um you know i know he had said he wanted to try to wrap things up before the beginning of the season i know things are always fluid and um, people will push timelines back, but um, I really think that he's probably going to be that six DB if they decide they're going to take six. Um, and if they do that, I'll probably watch out for Rhett, um, Justin Rhett from the West Coast, maybe pushing to a, a safety type position. Okay. Justin Rhett. All right. Interesting. That's not a name I've, I've heard much. Yeah, so he he's a um, commit committed back. Um, he was a Notre Dame commit. Um, he committed pretty quick and flipped pretty quick, right around the spring game. Oh, that's right, Rhett from Las Vegas. Okay, yeah, sorry, mm -hmm. I do remember Rhett. I feel like uh, July has been so busy with new commitments <laughs> and, and and new targets that uh, starting to forget about some of these guys that are actually in the class. My bad on that one. Yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> all right, so. Staying with the uh, recruiting theme, talking about our edge class, which I think is definitely one of the sort of interesting places. Georgia's obviously in on some high-profile targets. Um, of Samuel Mpemba, Quay Rousseau, and Damon Wilson, uh, which of these three edges do you think Georgia ends up getting? So you want to shoot that one first? Yeah, so – the one I feel best about right now is Mpemba. Uh, he's out of IMG Academy, obviously, uh, native of kind of the, the DMV area up in uh, D.C., but very, very freakish, you know, great athlete, uh, five-star kind of guy. But it just seems like the relationship with Georgia there of those three guys, that relationship has been the one that's been kind of the longest and strongest and most consistent for UGA. So – I think he's the one that I would say I feel like Georgia is going to get. And then uh, between Russo and Wilson, I'm going to lean right now towards Wilson, but I'm not going to be surprised if, if Russo ends up on campus, but I, I don't think they'll get both. What do you, how about your opinion? Yeah. I mean, if you're in a situation, you're Kirby and you can, I mean, you can swing for the fences and get all three, but I think, you know, with these battles being with Alabama there, that you're, you're pretty much, if one commits to the other, probably won't see the other one go the other way. Um, I will say Wilson, I probably, I mean, they could all, they could both push it to the very end, but if I will pick someone that's going to make a decision first, uh, I would look at Wilson. Um, you need to also watch out, and I mentioned before you got on here, but there's a, the five-star um, defensive end from Notre Dame. Um we, we had kind of been hearing things um, that he had been looking to maybe leave Notre Dame. Um, I'm pretty sure that he committed to them. I could be wrong. 
he committed them before um, Freeman was the head coach there. So, okay. um, so I don't, I'm not saying that. Um, obviously, there's they have a lot of the same staff there, but um, he has been behind the scenes, kind of flirting around, going to see other schools um, at one time, kind of flirting around with seeing um, Georgia. But you know, I know we bring up Russell a lot on the podcast, but um, Wilson. I mean, he's a freak of nature himself, too. Yeah, I feel like that's a recruitment where the timeline is maybe set a little bit back. Uh, you know, it seems like the guys whose names we've talked about the most this summer are the guys who are closer to committing right now or have gotten down to a few schools and may commit here in August or early in the season. Wilson, I feel like, is one of those that might go all the way to December or even the late signing day uh, in 2023. So I don't know. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it's it's Keon Keeley, I think, is the one you're talking about from Notre Dame, uh, mm-hmm. which I think I think he's actually visiting Alabama this weekend as well. Uh, I saw that today. So that's that's interesting because uh, right now it seems like Georgia and Alabama are kind of fighting over Russo and Wilson and then there's some potential that Keeley gets thrown in that mix as well. Uh, but all these guys are five-star guys, right? Like, I, I think if you look at what – and Gabe Harris is already in this class. Uh, I think Rusty Manziel posted a video of him a few weeks ago. He looks 20 pounds lighter and just very explosive. Like, he, he looks – really really good uh just over the last few months you can see a big change in his body so i feel like if you're a georgia fan you got to be sitting here right now thinking this edge class could be you know pretty pretty significant in terms of you look historically at what georgia's brought in pass rush wise uh this could be one of the better group of groups of pass rushers georgia's ever had yeah, so I, I would say, I mean, I know so we heard grumblings with, with Keeley. Obviously, that's probably on, on the George side. I think that's very, very, very premature. But, I mean, we'll keep you posted at Dollar Central. But I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to give it a 20, 25% chance that Keeley somehow, some way visits Georgia. Um, you know, we we had Jason predict uh, Tyler Williams last last show and it didn't come out till yesterday that he was going to be visiting. So all that mm-hmm. stuff is fluid, but you know, if he's looking to get into that edge class and we got all these other names we're, we're going for, we're looking for the same type of edge rushers. Um, and with our draft production, you're definitely going to probably see um, Keely maybe hop up in these names in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, question from the YouTube chat. Uh, what do you think, about our chances with the five-star 2024 quarterback from California, who is Julian saying is who uh, Mark is referring to there. I feel like we've gotten a question about Julian saying, uh, I think every show we've done this month in the month of July and for good reason. Yeah. And for good reason, right? Like uh, Jason had a really good post on our subscribers forum today about the 2024 quarterback targets kind of, you know, which, which right now I, we think looks like saying Jaden Davis and, and DJ Lagway, um, who are kind of the unanimous top three quarterbacks in this class from most recruiting services. I personally think that saying is the number one target. Uh, I think he should be. And it's, and that all is because of accuracy. Um, Jaden Davis and DJ Lagway are incredible talents and they have a lot of physical gifts, but they're, both completing about 55 to 60% of their balls at the high school level. Saiyan is up there at 72% completion. And one thing we know about evaluating quarterback prospects is with rare exceptions, do unaccurate guys become accurate down the road? Um, It's tough to say that about younger guys. I think like these guys just finished their sophomore year of high school. So I, I wouldn't say that in the same with the same intensity that I would about a college prospect going to the NFL. But I think if you give me an accurate quarterback, I'll show you a quarterback who has a really high floor, right? Like it's just, it's, it's going to be hard for that guy to not succeed or not at least be serviceable running an offense. And, and that's how I feel about saying, um, 
I chatted with him uh, a little bit last weekend. I think he's in a spot where, you know, he, he's just kind of waiting for that that right moment, right feeling. I do think, uh, you know, it, it's down to a few schools for him, one of them being Georgia. I think, you know, this is another recruiting battle where it could come down to Georgia and Alabama, right? Um, I don't know, you know, he, he had told us on an interview he did with us back in the summer or back in June that he was looking at bumping his recruitment up a little bit. He had originally planned on October. Not sure if, if he will end up bumping it up. I, I do think he still plans to commit during the season. Um, but yeah. And, you know, I mean, NIL is also uh, legal for guys under the age of 18 in, in California. So I think that is another equation here too, is, you know, maybe there's some, some marketing opportunities and stuff like that, that he wants to explore to capitalize on, on his brand and his name, which he should. Um, so long story short, I don't know much has changed with him, but I do think that Georgia remains in a really, really good place there. Uh, whenever he does make that decision, he's going to be choosing between, you know, Georgia and one or two other schools. Yeah, and I think the other thing, just kind of looking on the recruiting aspect, I know you mentioned saying, but I can probably look on Jaden's side and, and Lagway. Kirby's definitely going to cover all of his bases. A lot of these guys he's been recruiting since they were eighth graders and ninth graders. So mm -hmm. um, he's just doing his due diligence just in case something happens and saying goes one way or the other. Um, you know, he's told Graham that there's certain schools that he's also looking at and it's okay for Kirby to be looking at other quarterbacks at the same time. Um, yeah. And it also, you know, I think doing a little bit of that work also kind of helps him maybe not take as long as he might would on his decision. Plus he's got their 2024 guys. So, um, but, you know, I, I would say we have one of the more advantageous um, QB situations for a 2024 guy. Um, that's just my impartial opinion on that. I agree. Yeah, I think, I mean, Georgia's in on three of the best, if not the three best quarterback prospects in the country. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it is tough because these quarterbacks, a lot of, a lot of positions of a 2024 guy commits, it's great. And then people are excited about it, but we also know, they might not stick, but when it comes to the quarterback position, especially these elite quarterbacks, they sort of claim their spots early. Right. Um, but I do agree with what you said about Georgia needs to do its due diligence. You saw what happened with the Arch Manning recruitment where you kind of had all your eggs in one basket as far as elite quarterbacks in the 23 class went and it came down to the end, but it didn't go Georgia's way. Um, and so I, I think if saying, does end up going somewhere else that Georgia has to have a, a backup plan because they they need someone to to be in that room in that 2024 class because it doesn't look like you're going to have a elite 23 prospect and the way the portal works you really need one every year. No doubt, and I I'll, last thing I'll touch on that is the wide receiver class in Georgia for 2024 is going to be absolutely insane. We've already got one five star in the kidding right now but you know i it's gonna be tough with that tight end class um and also with the wide receivers we're gonna have then um i mean i think like i said it's gonna be a very attractive job yeah absolutely man i mean and just what georgia has continued to do on defense i think speaks for itself like if you're a no quarterback <laughs> coming in takes a lot of pressure off a young quarterback when you have yeah. uh all these, all these studs on, on defense across from you, keeping, keeping you out of shootouts. Um, speaking of a, uh, another guy who has recently kind of been in the news for UGA, uh, what are your thoughts on, on Yazid Haynes? For those of you that don't know, Haynes committed to UGA uh, yesterday, three-star wide receiver, four-star wide receiver, depending on which service you follow, but uh flip from Penn State, Four three nine forty. What are your thoughts on him, Dustin? 
Yeah, I mean, the speed's obviously there. He went to a Rivals camp. Um, he got MVP of the Rivals camp in the Northeast um, and shot the boards for, for Rivals. Um, so he's a little bit of a late bloomer, but the speed's there. He um, He's always working on his craft. He was down in Atlanta just about a month ago working with some trainers here. Um, so his seven-on-seven seven and his one-on-one -on -one drills, all, all those, his, his footwork is absolutely phenomenal. If I was going to give a critique, it's probably his hands. And obviously, I think he's going to have to um, get his weight up. But, I mean, he's got a, a year and a half before he'll even be on campus. So um, I think the, the you're looking at the ceiling. The ceiling is very high for him. The floor, obviously, he's going to have to – bulk up and do that stuff but i mean for guys that we need to be able to get open and you look at arian smith he was a little bit more raw when he came in um someone mm -hmm. like him he's not gonna have the speed as arian smith but his footwork and his in his route tree is gonna be a lot better than him so there's i think it's some another good piece for us to have and um, we obviously need to build that war chest yeah man i, th I think you nailed it uh i think you know the the comp there with Smith a little bit, not quite as fast. I mean, four, three, nine is still really, really fast, but yeah. Um, he's not running, you know, uh, Olympic level hundred meter sprints like Arian Smith is. And few people are Smith might be the fastest player in college football this year, but I do like his, just his, his kind of natural receiver skills a little bit better than a lot of guys with his type of speed. Uh, if you are watching this on our YouTube channel, or even if you aren't, and you want to see my uh, breakdown on Haynes, just go to the uh, most recent video posted to the channel, um, and you can see some some highlights of him and, and just kind of my commentary on his game. But when you turn on his tape, you see plenty of routes where he's just blowing blowing past the defense on you know go routes and skinny posts and stuff but i really like what he does on on his his in breaking and out breaking routes he's good at finding the sticks he catches the ball away from his body uh i think you know he plays in high school and as fast as he is i think he outruns quarterbacks arms pretty quick a lot of times so there's a lot of balls that he has to kind of slow down on or uh sort of turn around and catch and I think that makes it a little bit harder playing with a college quarterback that has a, a bigger arm that he can run out under some stuff will probably make things even easier for him, but good pickup from Georgia, in my opinion. Yeah, I would say he's probably, I mean, composite, I would say he'd probably be closer to a top 300. I wouldn't say he's gonna be like a top 100 guy, but definitely ESPN and on three and those definitely have him underrated in my opinion. I agree. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. And I think, you know, some of that is just these Northeastern guys. Sometimes the the high school competition isn't as consistently strong. And so it can be harder to evaluate that tape. But like you mentioned earlier, you know, he's been to some of these rivals camps and other camps and won MVP of the camp. So I, I think we'll see him bump up a little bit, especially if he hits the camp circuit this summer. And just as he gets more tape going into his, I mean, he's still got, you know, a, a full another year of. And, and going back to the regional recruiting, Fran Brown means pretty much picking anybody he wants to in the Northeast. So, yeah. So going back to that, don't just, don't just blame uh, Dell if you miss on a running back, you know, there's other people trying to help recruit him. So um, <laughs> we're going to get ours. For sure. Um, yeah. I guess speaking of uh, running backs, we did have a question about the running back kind of recruiting. Is there any any new news there? It doesn't seem like it, but you might know something that I know, don't know. No, I would just kind of be looking for offers. Um, I could give you names, but I talked to Jason before we got on here, and um, I wouldn't want to give anybody a name that you know I don't really feel super strongly about. It's sure. the same names we said before. Um, I would just look at the visits. Um, it's not any insider information. I think Dell's kind of looking at his board right now and figuring out what he wants to do or if he wants to go into the portal. Um, and I'm, I'm sure they'll – a lot of people don't want to hear this, but I'm sure he'll be recruiting Haynes till the end. So um, yep. just kind of see where, where people visit. 
Yeah, for sure. I I, I think that's very uh, on point. All right, I'm going to throw another <laughs> recruiting question at you here. Uh, our tackle targets right now, uh, Shanahan, Freeling, or door number three. Um, I know Freeling we have reported as being on campus uh, this weekend, but – what do you know? Yeah, I would, I would, um, I would lean towards if we can get Freeland and um, keep Bo Hewley. That's pretty much all we're going to need to do there. Um, and, and if you were to get Lou with that, um, that would pretty much wrap up your class right there. Um, I'm gonna look through yeah. here. There's one other name I think's on a visit, but I'll come back to it when you're when you get done. Well, one other thing that was interesting was uh, we had uh, Joshua Miller on Hundred Sanford yesterday mm-hmm. and did an interview with him. And you know that's that's a big kid, right? He's six six three twenty, very athletic. Uh, he does play kind of private school ball, but they are you know I mean his team has gone and played IMG Academy, right? Like they're they're playing some some stout competition. And uh, we were talking to him about his game and his relationship with uh, Stacey Searles. And he made the comment that, uh, you know, they are bringing him in as a tackle. Uh, his skill set, mm-hmm. I think, you know, they think he could play all five positions on the offensive line, but the intentions are at least to start him out at the tackle position. So something worth considering when we talk about that, that tackle class is, you know, that's, that's what he's been recruited as, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, our offensive line coach obviously gets a little bit of a bad rap for recruiting, but, you know, this this guy right here, who probably, I mean, we were recruiting him Freeland before this, but he had prior connections before he came here. So I would say if we're going to give him credit on one recruit, this is probably one we're going to have to say, hey, he did kind of work hard on getting this guy in the door. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. And, I mean, I think – you know, I, I actually asked the question to to Joshua yesterday of, you know, tell me a little bit about Coach Searles because we've never seen him in front of the media since he's been hired. I think a lot of Georgia fans don't know much about him or sort of question the hire a little bit. But uh, he had wonderful things to say about him. And just, you know, he was just like, there's he's a guy that I can talk to about anything that's going on in my life, you know. Um, and I think that speaks to – some of the relationship building that he's been doing. So with all things in recruiting, uh, the truth is not always evident right when someone walks through the door. Like the the 2023 class has been recruited for years now. And Stacey Searles walked in uh, really kind of late in the in this cycle. And I mean, he was a late hire as far as just normal offseason hires go. So I would say give him give him some time before making any judgments. But uh, some of the some of the guys that Georgia's in on right now, I think, are you know like Kelton Smith was a great pull. I, I mean, I think that kid has a ton of potential. Um, you know, a four star inside lineman like him. So I, I'm not really worried about this offensive line class. I think the way that maybe some people are. I don't know about you though. Yeah. Um... I would also say it's just kind of a plug. That interview was y'all did that on Hunter Sanford. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a that's a partner um podcast that we have that's on our website. Lamar and, and Trey, they do a good job over there with Grant. So if you haven't subscribed And George that, Foster. Now. And George Foster, yeah. Former Georgia yeah. player. So um definitely give them a shout. Um I will I will also just to kind of have like a teaser to the quick hitters there there's one offensive tackle in the top 300 um that I'll get Jason to post on there tomorrow um there's a, a guy that if we missed that one Freeland that is going to visit in the fall so just kind of be keeping an eye on that all right that's a good little tease and uh for those of you that don't know you can check that out at dogcentral.com and you can still subscribe for six months for thirty three eighteen, which is a screaming deal. And Jason, Jason does do really good quick hitters, and that is on either Monday or Tuesday and the Friday after our our, um, our podcast. But 
He um he's gonna have team notes and recruiting notes on there, and I'm sure Graham will have some extra stuff he can give you on the team notes side. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, those those notes from Jason are must read. Definitely lots of good meat and potatoes intel in there. So this question, this is kind of the last recruiting related question that we've got for tonight. And uh it sort of ties into some of the stuff we're talking about with like a guy like Yazid Haynes and, you know, uh, a guy like Joshua Miller, who's a three-star offensive lineman says, how would you rate Kirby and staff as evaluators of talent? Uh, I kind of have a longer answer to this question. So I'll let you, you fire away first before I go on my, my little rant here. Yeah. It brings me back whenever, um, one of the first times I, I met, um, met Graham, he had some Clemson guy who, who does that radio show. <laughs> Oh yeah, Walt showed Tatula. up on there and had all these yeah. stats, and they're probably like what you're going to go through right here. But I mean, That's Kirby weird. on his his three stars. I mean, he doesn't get a, a bevy full of, of three stars, but when he does, I mean, his his hit rate on these three stars are really really good. And you know, a lot of these guys in classes, um, you can kind of look at team notes, but a lot of people gave Bobo a bad rap for getting him and that's not someone he's developed yet, but you know, team notes, he's moved the inside the center and he's pushing yep. for the two or the three spot. So he's doing a good job of evaluating, but I can just list you the names, you know, Stokes, um, Baker was a first round pick. He was, didn't have him the whole time, but he definitely was a part of that development. Right. But, you know, um, you got Crowder, Crowder, which is about what I'm yeah. about to say, two star yeah. that's NFL starter right now. So, I don't really think you can hate on his um, evaluators of talent. I mean, this this class right here, you know, people, there's certain people on there, they might be like, hey, when you first saw Haynes, you're like, hey, he's a three-star. But if you actually like, look at the, their tape and look at their numbers, you really can't hate on them. For sure. I agree. And I think the other thing I'll say, too, for everyone to know uh, – Without fail, especially in this cycle, when I've talked to a recruit who's committed to Georgia or that Georgia's after hard and, you know, kind of get get into a deeper conversation with them, what you find out is that when these guys are on campus, they're working out for Georgia's staff. Um, there are some guys that have a, a lot of stars next to their name in this class that that were, you know, that tried to commit to UGA and they said no to because they worked them out and they didn't think that the, you know, the, the results of, of those workouts matched the star rating. And then there's some guys with lower stars on their names that they worked out and said, damn, this kid is a, is a player, you know, and, and he can, can help us. And so I always am going to trust the, uh, the eyes and the evaluation of, of Georgia's staff especially on some of these guys that they're taking here mid-cycle and, and that they're kind of choosing to take maybe over some names that are bigger. And also recruiting rankings change. Some of these guys that are three stars now are, are going to end up as four stars or whatever. But when you look at how the evaluation has been done by UGA during Kirby's time, uh, those of you that follow me on Twitter may have saw this. Uh, I did something called – the development quotient uh, last year, I'm sorry, last, last spring around the NFL draft time. And basically all this was is every uh, NFL draft, we see this kind of litany of hot takes that happens right after the draft on who can develop and who can't develop. And the reality is like, just because you recruited a bunch of five-star guys or, you know, you recruited a number one class, well, like you should have five or six guys going in the first couple of rounds. Like, so what this numbers that you're looking at is, is it's just a measurement of which programs develop raw talent the best. And so I took the national averages of three stars, four stars, and five stars. And, oh, sorry. There we go took the national averages of three stars, four stars, and five stars. And a team score is just the percentage of its three, four, and five-star prospects that were drafted compared to national averages. And so, like, almost 60% of five-star guys get drafted. Uh, about 22% of four-star guys get drafted. And about 6% of 
of all the three-star recruits in a class get drafted. Uh, when you look at Georgia and what they've done, so this was from the 2015 through 2018 recruiting classes. UGA uh, by far has the highest score of any program in the country. They are plus 17.1% over average. I also want to be clear for anyone that's watching that I weighted this by roster composition. So like Georgia's three-star score is not a third of its score because a third of its roster is not three-star guys. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is an area where UGA actually has a, uh, the highest score of any program is in that three-star category. When I, when I went, go back and look at the raw data, like Georgia has put uh, just over 25% of the three-star prospects that it's brought onto campus in that four-year period between 2015 Insane. and 2018 into the NFL draft. Yeah. It's crazy. So, right. And it's like, you know, there's Jordan Davis and uh, I mean, there's a huge list and this, list does not yet include the 2019 recruiting class which georgia had quite a few guys uh selected in the nfl draft from this past year uh but and these three stars some of these are first round picks these are just draft picks yeah this is just draft picks as a whole and there there is you know an argument to be made for trying to go further down the wormhole but i think i'm more interested you know i think the bar of just did you get drafted or did you not get drafted uh can inform us greatly. Right. So that's kind of where I started with all of it, but yeah, I mean, like you look at, uh, Alabama, they're, they're sixth on this list, which is, which is great. That's not shabby by any means, but you know, I, I think like coming off of that 2020 season that they had where I think they had seven first round draft picks, if I recall correctly, like there's all this talk of, oh, well, Alabama's developing so much better than Georgia. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you're bringing in the most five-star guys, then you should have the most first-round draft picks. And so I think, you know, looking at Cincinnati here at number three at plus 10.9% or Wisconsin at 8.6%, like, is very telling as to to what's actually going on. And, you know, it's a measure of just who is developing talent the best, not just who is recruiting at the best, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I would kind of equate that to the 2023 class. You look at someone like a Ricky Gibson that's going to be visiting this weekend. You know, if we just took the ratings and we just looked at, hey, we have a combine numbers of a of a guy that's 17. He's six foot one. He runs a four three eight and he has a broad jump just as long as Lewis scenes is and he can has a vertical of 48. I think someone with with Fran Brown and Muschamp and Kirby that's a that's a defensive back. I would take those numbers and say that they can mold them into what they want to be. So you're kind of looking at Kirby. You know he can't teach speed and measurables, but he can teach the game to him. So I think you're seeing Kirby whenever he's doing these three stars. He's looking at guys that have something that he can work with. Um, so it's going to be exciting to see some of these guys develop at Georgia. Absolutely. Yeah, that's well said for sure. Um, all right, moving forward, uh, who do you think finishes second in the SEC East this season? Man, I know a lot of people are giving Kentucky love, but I'm actually I'm actually leaning more towards Tennessee. Um I know they have Alabama on their schedule, so that might make it a little bit tougher for them to have have that as their cross. But mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, I don't know how Vegas would be, but I, I would think that Vegas would be pretty pro on, on Tennessee right now. Yeah. Uh, here, let me pull up the win totals. Um, I know that they're probably I, right there. I think they they're probably close. I mean, Georgia and Alabama. Or the two, yeah. I mean, Alabama's ten and a half. The consistency of Tennessee with the way they run their offense is probably the biggest variable there. Uh, I don't think you're right or wrong with the answer. Um, So seven and a half wins is where Vegas has Tennessee. It is juiced pretty heavily to the over. Uh, If you bet over seven and a half, it's it's only a minus one sixty return. 
So you bet, have to bet one hundred sixty dollars to win a hundred. This Kentucky, but, excuse me, this is Kentucky at eight. It's seven and a half as well, and it's it's also minus one sixty. So Vegas is just as torn on that one as uh, Florida's at seven, and Missouri's at five and a half. Uh, South Carolina's at six. So I think for me, I I'm struggling with it a little bit as well because like. Kentucky loses Wandale Robinson. Uh, it sounds like Chris Rodriguez might not play this year. He's got some issues going on. Like, I think they – Yeah, and they lost a lot on the offensive line, and that was kind of the identity of that team. Will Levis, I think, is very talented, but, you know, they, they run a lot of stuff like kind of the old school, like, LA Rams greatest show on turf style, lots of play action down the field. And Levis kind of has a tendency where like, if there's a deep ball called, he's throwing it no matter what, like whether it's double coverage in the back or, or it's open. And so he can be a bit turnover prone. Uh, I think he's a good player, but I just feel like Kentucky is going to struggle to, to repeat what they did last year. Uh, Tennessee, though, likewise, I also kind of feel, you know, I know that Heupel was in, in the league at Missouri before being at Tennessee, but the offense that he's running now at Tennessee is even more just like kind of that, that old school, not old school, but like the Baylor system that Bryles ran. And I think that you'll see some teams adjust to it a little bit this year. Uh, and have some different looks for it than they did last year. I would go with Tennessee right now, but there's part of me that's actually tempted to say South Carolina. Yeah. Um, that uh, yeah. looks pretty decent. It looks like you could probably push on that. At, at yeah, that well, point. and I mean, yeah, and it's also your you get plus one fifteen on the over. So yeah, it was floating between five and a half and six. So yeah. I mean, I, I don't know though. It's like South Carolina also has a tough schedule. Um, no, I guess you got a new OC, didn't it? Uh, yeah, Liam Cohen's Liam Cohen is gone. I think the the Los Angeles Rams hired him. So that's not um, always that easy transitioning from an OC. Agreed, and he was really, really good last year. I mean that that drive that he called in the second quarter when they were playing Georgia was. One of the better, like, I mean, he was in his bag, dude. Totally. Um, yeah, Rich Scangarello is the new OC at Kentucky. Um, so he came from the 49ers. He was the quarterback's coach there. So, I'll have, I mean, that similar kind of, you know, it's still going to be pro-style system like they ran last year. And, you know, Kentucky's very much a line of scrimmage football team. I think – I don't know. I, I do laugh a little bit like when I see – I saw some predictions during SEC media days of people talking about Kentucky beating Georgia. I think Kentucky is designed to play closer games with Georgia because they're designed to sit on the football and run clock. But and we, and we play Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, you do play a Kentucky this year, but still you're not going to beat Georgia playing like line of scrimmage – football like that's what georgia does better than anybody in college football right now including alabama you know um so you're just you're not gonna bully uga up front on either side of the ball and and that's how kentucky beats a lot of other teams in college football and you know i commend them for it but in a way i feel like if you're talking about team that has a chance to beat uga it's like i think there's a lot higher variance for a team like Tennessee uh, or even, you know, even maybe a South Carolina, depending on what they decide to run with Rattler this year, than there is for a Kentucky, just because, you know, Tennessee, if, if you're running 90 something plays in a game or, you know, whatever it is, like there's just more that can happen. There's more mistakes that can be made. There's more chance of a defensive back slip in or somebody having the wrong assignment and things kind of, you know, falling apart and maybe a couple weird fluke touchdowns or something happens, falls in your lap, and all of a sudden it's 
it's a tight game. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that, like, I agree that Kentucky might be the second in the East, but I think that Tennessee has a better chance to beat Georgia, if that makes sense. Well, I will tell you, you can't listen to any Kentucky fans. They, if anybody that was at all the games last year, that was the one fan base that legit they thought that they were going to beat Georgia when they came there last year. Like they were, like so cocky before the game, just talking junk the whole time. And um, so did Arkansas, man. You know, yeah, um, yeah. I always stay away from Arkansas Twitter. Those people will find your address and try and burn your house down if they can. That's true. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. So on a similar vein, uh, which game are you most excited to watch this season? Uh, hmm. You can pick a Georgia game and you can pick a non-Georgia game if you would like. Didn't think the not. I mean, for me, it's always Georgia-Florida. That's that's the rival game for me. Um, I mean, I – I would say the the Oregon Georgia one. I mean, I I, mm-hmm. I just want to see how we're going to look coming out the gates. So probably that will probably be my my number one um, game. But you know, I don't I don't know how Florida's going to look. I, I personally think they're probably going to be in a little bit of a rude awakening. Their schedule is pretty tough from the beginning, which they normally are never tough out of the gates with their schedule. Um, but by that the time Utah we get there, I just, game. Florida fans are just not very patient. Um, and I know that they have a what? No. Yeah, it's it's um everybody on here that has a Twitter account there, they're um interesting on Twitter, but you know, I, I think that's the one I'm kinda looking forward to because this could be one of those years I feel like that we could really take it to them. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I'm with What about you, you? So I am gonna say I agree with what you're saying about Oregon. I think Oregon is the game that answers the most questions. I think Mm -hmm. the one that I don't know if excited would be the right word, but like maybe just the most interested to watch would be Georgia at Mississippi state. Um, Yeah. Just the way that UGA struggled with that offense when they were in Athens a couple years ago on the COVID year. Uh, And, and that's a tough, that's, that's kind of an underrated tough place to play. It's a, it's a long ass trip out there. Uh, I don't know. It can kind of like lull you to sleep a little bit. And then all of a sudden you got all these cowbells going off in your ears and it, you know, it gets, it gets wild. It gets rowdy, man. Um, yeah, we, so, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting seeing Kirby. How he's going to mic up the cowbells when they're, they're um, practicing <laughs> that week. I, I can guarantee you that will happen. That's a good point. I didn't think about that as far as sort of, you know, a national game that I'm interested in watching. I'll just go with, week one because I'm super excited to watch any football once it happens. But I'm very interested in this LSU-Florida State game on uh, the Sunday mm-hmm. of the opening weekend. It's in New Orleans. Two, you know, new coaching staff at LSU. Mike Norvell obviously needs some good things to start happening. I feel like psychologically for both of those teams, that game could be worth more than one game in terms of how they they move forward in their season so yeah ohio state and notre dame's week one too it is yep yes yeah they play interesting trying to remember what time they play you know what's another i know this is this is a deep this is a deep cut because dustin and i are both from north carolina but uh unc at appalachian state week one is a a sneaky sneaky upset spot for me I mean, UNC or App State beat UNC at UNC the last time. They um they took care of South Carolina and North Carolina in the same year. So that was pretty That's right. interesting. Satterfield or not Satterfield. Coach Dirk from Missouri was the coach there at that time. But um it is at App Pretty State. Close, yeah. It is yeah. at App State, which is kinda of interesting that they're finally getting games like that there. I know, it's pretty cool. Um now, now talking Talking about games that people would want to go to, the bourbon guy we have, John, probably would really like going to the Kentucky game. That is very true. Yeah. Well, I think uh I think he 
on his way to the John John Smith on his way to the national championship game last year. I think he stayed in Kentucky so he could do some some bourbon touring and then drove over to Indianapolis. Um, See if we got we got a couple more here in the chat. So, which freshman do you think has the best chance to make an impact on this year's team? Hmm. So. I'm going to go defense. Um, I'm going to actually. I'm actually not going to say what I was going to say. I'm going to go with Everett. I actually think that he could sneak in the. Um, um, if yeah, Nolan Green quarter. doesn't win it out, yeah, Nolan Green doesn't um, turn it on early, he might not win the job. I mean, Dalen Everett gets that job as a freshman. Um, that's going to probably. Um, not be a good thing for the rest of the SEC East and SEC. Um, if I was going to go with offense, I, I think we're 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 thinking that all these running backs are going to stay healthy. We got really um, other than Milton, mm-hmm. we stayed relative. Well, McIntosh just hurt a little bit, but I would say I, I'm going to actually look out for Robinson. Um, I think if there's an injury, he's going to probably be forced into. Um, taking some carries and I don't think Edwards is a back that can just sit there and take 20 carries in a game if you have an injury. So I would say kind of watch out for Robinson. I agree with you on Branson. Uh, and I really like what you're saying about it too, just to, to be interesting and give a different answer uh, for defense. I will say Michael Williams. That was I just keep hearing. Say too. Is that the one? Yeah. I mean, he's, He's been doing some some pretty freakish things since he stepped on campus, it sounds like. Um, I wouldn't sleep on Marvin Jones Jr. either, just because uh, you look back historically, Kirby with edge rushers, especially elite edge rusher recruits, like, like Adam Anderson as a true freshman, you know, they put him in on some third down packages and just said, hey, spy the quarterback and uh, if the pocket starts collapsing, go get him kind of thing. So I think we'll see him on the field maybe at some point. Uh, on offense, I agree with the Robinson thing. Uh, I and I mean, yeah, if you look at the last two years, both McIntosh and Milton have have each had injuries each of the last two years. So it's definitely no givens there, and that's just a position where you need a lot of guys in the SEC. But I would say uh, I'm going to go with Ernest Green. If it was, if if not Robinson, I'll say Green, just because I think if if you have some guys get dinged up on the offensive line, or even if you don't, um, I think he could become kind of that sixth man, especially if you need someone to come in and play guard. Um, I just keep hearing really good things about his hands. And, yeah, he's going to play a lot of snaps for Georgia in his career. That was a very important recruit to get last class. Um, definitely year two and year three for him. He's going to be playing a good bit. For sure. Um, so two kind of related questions here. Uh, one says, how do you think Lanning can expose us? And the other one says, how can Oregon beat Georgia? What does Georgia need to do to win? Thoughts on Bo Nix? Um, so I'll I mean, let you start on that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, thoughts on Bo Nix, man. I got a lot. Um, I, I think – I'm going to be honest here. I like the only way that I see Oregon beating Georgia is if something goes really, really wrong in the back end of Georgia's defense. Um, I do think that, yeah, I do think that, that Bo Nix is the type of quarterback. We all know he can extend plays. Right. Um, And I think that can be tricky for, some some probably first time starters in the secondary on the back end sort of where am i supposed to be when the play breaks down especially if they're in zone that type of thing kind of you know guys running back to the ball i you know or or somebody just getting behind the defense i could see that happening but i think that georgia is going to handle oregon up front pretty well not not dominate them or push them around necessarily. I need to look around. I, I honestly 
need to go in and do more film study on Oregon. I haven't gotten there yet, but uh, I think Travis Dye being gone from that offense helps UGA a lot because he's a really good back. I'm just not sure who replaces him. And I think Oregon's defense, you know, they they lose Thibodeau. Um, they do have Flo and Sewell back. So they've got some good linebacking core happening. But I, I do not think that Oregon has the size on that front four of the defensive line to really deal with what Georgia's rolling out on the offensive line. And I think that – I think Georgia's going to be able to run the ball for four to five yards of pop, if not more, in this game. Um, those linebackers will make plays, but I think Georgia can can wear them down a little bit from time to time and do some things in the screen game in particular to hurt them. Some of that jet sweep stuff they do with McConkey and Bowers. But, yeah, when you start kind of looking at it, it's just like – I, I just think Georgia has too many weapons on offense and the offensive line will be able to control that game to where it's hard for, for Oregon to get off the field. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I think you'll kind of see, I think you'll see a game, honestly, that may be kind of similar to the Georgia Auburn game last year, where, you know, early in the game, Oregon will get some drives. There will be some thing, you know, both teams will have some things that surprise each other, but I just think at the, at the end sort of, talent breaks down and yes, but remember Boise state versus UGA. This is a comment here. Let me put this up here. Yeah. I remember Boise state versus UGA. You talking about when, what, like 12 years ago and Georgia didn't have very much talent on their roster. I mean, Oh, Boise state had smaller alignment. Okay. That's fine. I mean, yeah, like, I, I don't think that Oregon's offensive line is small, truthfully. I think that's one of the better strengths of yeah. their team. Um, I just don't think on the defensive front they'll be able to really handle what Georgia – like I think the offensive line is the strength of Georgia's team, hands down. And so uh, I do think Lanning will know some things. I, I mean, there's no way he won't, but I think this also works in reverse. And if I'm Todd Monken, I'm going to go to Kirby Smart. <laughs> who has installed this defense way more times than Dan Lenning has. And I'm going to go to him and I'm going to say, Hey, when you've installed this defense, you know, over a dozen times in your career, what's the thing that's really hard for guys to kind of get on first and figure out. And then I think that's going to be, uh, I think the Georgia will have some things that they're going to sort of test Oregon on scheme wise on defense and some assignments stuff that they'll see if they're sound on or not. And the one thing you got to look at, he's installing a new staff. So, I mean, you went the, you went the monk in that, um, you know, the COVID year, he didn't have much of a time to start an offense or still his offense was up on zoom meetings. Um, so, I mean, I don't think a lot of people can really having a new OC and having a new offense and installing your defense and all that stuff. Um, it does take time. But I think another thing that a lot of people aren't talking about is you're going to see if there is one defensive coordinator and a, and a coach, you know, that, you know, he kind of micromanages. We're not on the headset, so we don't know how much he micromanages, but we're going to really see how much of that defense was – and I'm not knocking on Lanning, you know. Um, sure. He's going to do a great job at, at Oregon. But you're going to really see how much team. was – yeah, recruiting's all <laughs> – I mean, that's going to be his equity over there. I mean, they, they picked the, the right guy to recruit out there with the, the Nike money and all that stuff. But I think you're really going to see how much um, Kirby really had him under his wings or how much he was really doing stuff himself in the last two years he was there. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I, I think that – I think Landing is going to be very successful at Oregon. I think that Oregon could go 10-2 this season. You know, I, like I think that they're going to – do very, very well in the Pac-12. I just – I think that people forget that football is played at the line of scrimmage. The game is about blocking and tackling, and then everything else happens after that. And I think that they will have a hard time blocking and tackling Georgia. Um, and I also schematic. think – Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, on the schematic side, I, one thing I'll add is um, – with the adding Eric Gilbert in there with the tight ends we already have and different types of personnel you can play, 
I can about assure you that um, Munkin is going to test those linebackers, and I really don't think they have anybody in the passing game that's going to be able to hold a hold a stick to them, in my personal opinion. I agree. I think that's a great point. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how if you're Georgia, you don't come out 12 and 13 personnel early in that game and say, okay, like either bring in size to match up with it so we don't smash you eight yards of carry coming downhill or, you know, go ahead and, and stay, you know, go ahead and, and come in and be big and watch us, watch us run Eric Gilbert and Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington behind you. And I mean, if you're going 13 personnel and then you put Arians, you know, like you go a 13 bunch with a, bunch of, with a three bunch tight end on one side, and then you, you put one wide receiver on the boundary uh, like the play that Georgia, the, the first big play Georgia had in the national title game when they hit uh, Pickens on the long ball off the fake end around to Brock Bowers. Like that was a 13 bunch tight with with a receiver on the boundary. And it's like if you throw Arian Smith out there and say, okay, like cover him and man and deal with all these tight ends, it's just, it's a nightmare. It's a headache. And I, I, I'm not sitting here saying Jordan's going to like come in and run Oregon out of the building. And I think if there's ever a game where Kirby Smart is going to be respectful and kind of call the dogs off or whatever, it's like I don't think he wants to beat Landing by 60. I don't think there's a, you know, a vendetta there. But um, I do think it'll be interesting. And if you guys – you know, didn't follow my stuff last year or, you know, follow this YouTube channel last season. We will do full tape breakdowns on both teams in the weeks leading up to this game. Uh, and I will do my, my big written preview post on the dog central forum for subscribers, uh, not to my own horn too much or sound arrogant, but like we were literally the most, correct on predictive analysis for UGA games last year of, of anyone in this space. And uh, we have a cool, I think, formula of doing it. So check it out and join us. And, and we'll definitely have a lot of more fun conversations about this, but it's nice to talk about football. For oh, no doubt. I can't Lord wait knows. for candy start. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, all right. Let's see um, if there's anything can, else. Uh... I'll go ahead while you're um, – if anybody has any questions, I can talk about the recruiting weekend that we're going to have Please. on campus. Um, and if anybody has any questions, go ahead and shoot them in there as we wrap up. Um, so we had uh, Jordan Hall that visited um, yesterday or Tuesday. Um, we had four-star DeAndre Carter that came. And then um, also four-star Xavier McLeod, um, defensive – lineman defensive end role um well no not defensive inner inner defensive lineman um was looking between georgia and south carolina i would kind of watch his recruitment going forward um and then also for the weekend we have tyler williams we said that on the show last week that they, he'd be coming um, we also got monroe freeland that's coming and then also um ricky gibson is coming um this weekend so as we um we lost out on the Caleb Downs commitment. I would kind of keep a close eye on Ricky Gibson's commits, uh, commitments. Uh, I know he wants to get his his um, recruitment done before the beginning of school, so I would watch him going forward. Um, and then um, Jason will also – he has two people that he would um, make predictions on if it was today, and they're both on defensive linemen. So – if you want to um, check out who he thinks would be in the um, defensive line class, he's going to drop those two names on there tomorrow on the quick hitters. Awesome. Thank you for that update. Um, so the last question we have tonight, and this is one that I actually do have some kind of strong opinions on, uh, is about Kevin Warren's comments at Big Ten Media Days. Over this past week, uh, I don't know if you saw exactly what he said or not. You have to let me know. Well, I'll throw it up here. So uh, I have a little tweet saved for us. But basically, he said on late kickoff times 
2024, we'll be able to provide content all the way from the morning into the night. Financial impact has not been finalized for next media rights deal, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, the two things that I think really stood out for me was he talked like a tech CEO. Like he was talking about, we want, you know, content all the way around the clock. And he was like, we're, we're going to disrupt and all this stuff. And what concerns me about that is just about two years ago right now, this guy tried to cancel the entire college football season <laughs> and got up on a podium and used a bunch of terms like he was an epidemiologist. Now he's up on a podium using a bunch of terms like he is a, a broadcast network and he's treating his conference you know, basically like it is a, a streaming network, right? Which to a certain extent, I get it. It is. At the end of the day, it's it's, it's a football game. We're talking about football games. Uh, it, you know, there was another Big Ten official, Gene Smith, uh, Ohio State Athletic Director, I believe is who it was. Uh, I could be wrong. But talking about, well, you know, we might as well consider a 16-team playoff. And I think that's another area where it's just, I get it. If you're the Big Ten and you see how you fared in a four-team playoff, you would want a bigger playoff, and hopefully, you can get more teams in, and you know, hopefully, maybe one of them can win a game or two. Uh, but yeah, I, I just I was very, very kind of by. I get that college athletics is big business now, but a guy that really just like tripped over his own shoelaces when he took the job is all of a sudden kind of out here treating, treating this conference like it is a media company. And I, at the end of the day, still want football to be fun. And I think that college football is kind of starting to make some of the mistakes that like we saw NASCAR make when, you know, they had this very Southern base and they said like, let's go national. And, you know, will never lose this base and they lost their base. And I think that college football is flirting with losing some of their base. If they continue to do stupid things and they end up devaluing the regular season to a point where no one, you know, really thinks it's, it's consequential anymore. Well, I am looking forward to USC being in that conference. Why is that? I mean, I'm just, I mean, I, I think that as we get into the, you know, I think we're ultimately going down the path where we're going to have two conferences. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be interesting to see Big Ten have some of those big, heavy recruiting hitters. And, you know, I think it's going to make it people a little bit harder to maybe recruit um, nationally. Um, but it's going to be good to see Big Ten from the top to bottom be a little bit more competitive. I think they're really, really, really top heavy right now. Yeah, I mean, it's Ohio State and everybody else, and I get it. But I think at the end of the day, um, man, I, like, I, I don't know. Uh, college football is still to be about the football, right? So it be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I do think, you know, just to be clear, because I know this is a Georgia show or whatever, but like – I equally have issues with some of the things that Greg Sankey is doing or saying, you know, in terms of kind of putting the almighty dollar in front of what's maybe best for the programs that are currently in his conference or best for the people that want to consume the product. Um, I mean, yeah, if you talk about a, a 16 team playoff, which Sankey hasn't, but I'm just saying in that theoretical universe, like, am I supposed to go to Atlanta for the Oregon game, back to Atlanta for the Alabama SEC championship game, God knows where, you know, Seattle for the first round of the playoff, uh, Washington, D.C. for the second round, the third round in Arlington, Texas, and the fourth round in the Rose Bowl. You know what I mean? It's like people yeah. are going to – It's you know, it's not an endless – uh, I guess what I'm saying is just like people's loyalty is is not unbreakable, and I think that uh, college football has to be careful about how they handle kind yeah, of the kinda, 
It kind of like got like that in NFL. Um, mean, so hopefully it doesn't turn out to be like that. For sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, before we wrap up, do you have anything else you want to say, Dustin? No, I'm just getting Like I said, I'm, I'm getting excited about getting closer to team um, camp and having those notes up. And, uh, you know, with the recruiting, it will go to a dead period. So stuff will kind of quiet down until we get back to the football games. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you guys come and see us over at DocCentral.com. Uh, come on over, DocCentral.com slash register and join us 3318 for six months. And we're going to have a lot of really fun content um, leading up to the Oregon game. And throughout the season, we'll have all sorts of fall fall practice updates starting for you guys here next week. And uh, Jason and Dustin have us covered as always on the recruiting. Thank you all for joining in on the chat. Appreciate the uh, encouragement and the participation. So until next Thursday, we are out, but we'll see you guys soon.